Welcome to the Independent Advisors Podcast, where we dive into the world of stocks, tradable markets, and financial planning with Jessup Wealth Management's Chief Investment Officer, Mark McEvely, and CEO, Matt Jessup. You'll hear tips, tricks, and strategies to address your financial well-being, and most importantly, conveyed in a way that everyone can understand. Here are your hosts, Mark and Matt. Welcome, everyone, to the Independent Advisors Podcast, where Matt Jessup and I, Mark McEvely, bring you everything you need to know from the past week in the world of financial markets and financial planning. So today marks the 13th episode. So good afternoon to you, Matt. Good afternoon, Mark. Sorry, everyone, that we're posting this a little bit late on Thursday. I had a uh, meeting this morning in Chicago, and that is why we're posting it a little bit later than usual. Yeah, and we'll still get it out, though, by the end of the day. Um, so as always, take the first couple of minutes to recap the performance of the markets for the month and the year. Um, this data is of yesterday's close on September 18th, and the data is from stockcharts.com. The S&P 500 index is up 2.74% for the month and up 19.94% for the year. The Dow is up 2.93% for the month and up 18.51% for the year. The NASDAQ Composite Index is up 2.69% for the month and up 23.24% for the year. The IWM ETF that tracks the Russell 2000 Index is up 5.16% for the month and up 17.62% for the year. The International Index X United States is up 3.44% for the month and up 11.71% for the year. Three-month treasury uh, is at 1.95%, the two-year treasury yield at 1.77%, and the 10-year treasury yield just above it at 1.8%. So it was a pretty eventful week in the markets, um, at least the first half of the week, uh, Matt. So um, had a decent amount of stuff in the headlines, including the drone attack on the Saudi Aramco oil facility where we saw oil prices spike by double digits in one day on Monday earlier this week, which was the largest one-day intramove uh, ever, I believe. Yeah, I think it just goes to show you um, how the market was not pricing in any sort of what I would call geopolitical risk. Right. And anytime these events happen, obviously this one focused on the effect of energy prices. But anytime you have a geopolitical event the market then has to take time repricing in that risk. So what does that mean for listeners? I would expect more volatility in gasoline prices when you go to the pump. Um, and I don't think that's going to dissipate anytime soon, especially since the Saudis haven't really said what their um, next move is going to be. Yeah, for sure. And I think the one thing that people are going to be looking to see is, is this going to hinder consent or consumer spending going forward? Um, because the consumer has been very strong, but obviously, as we all know, um, when gasoline prices increase, consumer spending tends to get reined in a little bit. Absolutely. It's a great point, Mark. I mean, that's something that we're definitely going to have to keep our ears to the ground on and that we'll report back to the listeners as we get maybe data about consumer spending, consumer sentiment, but you know, as you're starting to see these gasoline prices already this week start to go up, again, we're connecting the dots for the listeners. How is that going to affect consumer spending? And that spending ultimately affects corporate profits. Mm -hmm. So is that going to tie back in? 
and that's what we'll, we'll report back. And I think it's a great point you just made. Yeah, yeah. So we'll see if it's more of a short-term event or if it's going to have a, a longer ripple effect um, going through into the economy. I know that um, Saudi Arabia came out and said that they had most of production back online. Um, but again, I don't think we're really going to know what the the total damage is until we get out probably a month or two and see where gasoline prices are at that point. Yeah, I mean, it's one thing for them to say it. I'm not saying they're misleading the market, but they do have a motivation because they are trying to take their state-owned oil company public. Yeah. So I think that they do have, say, an incentive to control the narrative. Yeah, and they're going to massage that narrative as much as possible. Absolutely. Yeah, so... Um, the other big event this week, obviously, uh, one of Matt and I's favorite topics um, was that the Federal Reserve cut interest rates by a quarter percentage point on Wednesday, which the market was expecting. Um, the markets actually reacted quite positively, Matt, by the end of the trading day yesterday, as the major indices were down for most of the day leading up to the Fed announcement, but then they closed flat. Um, so I took a little bit of a deeper dive and saw some money rope rotating back into the aggressive sectors such as tech financials and consumer discretionary stocks. So at least for the short to intermediate term, I think that bodes well for the market going forward. Yeah, I think the best way to put it, I think you uh, summarized a great mark. I think for the listeners, what I would say is this, Fed Chair Powell is walking a thin line between making Wall Street happy and controlling, in essence, what the Fed's going to be doing down the road. So they lowered rate temp, uh, ro- lowered interest rates temporarily and also said, listen, the, if, if we're going to ro- raise or lower rates in the future, that's going to be data dependent. And that's exactly what the market wanted to hear. And that's the best case scenario for the meeting yesterday. It's what you and I were expecting would occur. But what this does now is this is going to put a major focus on their next meeting at the end of October in that mid-December meeting. Why is that? Because the Fed tends to not make major policy changes during an election year. So their window to continue to mess with interest rates... Pretty tight. Yeah, I mean, you get a couple couple more meetings. And um, the caution I would throw out to listeners is there is a probability that they don't continue to lower and that could disappoint Wall Street. Yeah, yeah, I'll just for throw sure. That out there. And then can you just <clears throat> take a couple minutes again, Matt, just to explain what this means for the market and the economy when the Fed's lowering interest rates, just so people understand, you know, the Fed raises and lower interest rates. People hear that on the news all the time, but, but what does that really that? mean? Yeah. Got it. All right, good question. So what the Fed does is they control the rate of interest that they charge banks to lend money to them, okay? So as that cost is then given to the banks, they have a spread that they make. So in essence, you lend money uh, to the bank, they're gonna pay you an interest rate, right? And let's say it's 1%. Well, they're gonna go out there and loan that money to somebody else to buy a car, to buy a house, and they make the spread or the difference. Mm -hmm. Well, as these rates are coming down, it gives the ability for them to pass, or they should be, uh, passing that savings onto businesses, onto the consumer. So your cost of capital should be going down as these things occur. Mm -hmm. And the thing that comes to mind, Mark, that maybe will hit home the most with our listeners is something called a home equity line of credit. 
most mortgages are fixed rates, either over 15 years or over 30 years, and your interest rate does not change. Whereas most home equity lines of credit are all variable depending upon where the government is setting interest rates. Yeah. So as you see the Fed cut 0.25%, why does it matter? Well, all of a sudden when you get your next home equity line of credit bill, the minimum payment is gonna go down. Now, let's multiply that to say corporations because a majority of corporations don't have fixed loans. A majority of corporations have variable interest rates. So as these rates come down, that puts a lot more money in the pocket of these corporations. And encourages and them to borrow more. Encourages them to borrow more. It encourages them to take that savings and hire somebody. Uh, invest in, in equipment to increase productivity. Buy another company. Increase their dividends. You know, these things tend to get money flowing through the economy. And it's just one of the tools in the Fed's toolkit to try to spur economic activity. Yeah. So in essence, when the Fed lowers interest rates, that means that they're trying to make business conditions and economic conditions easier on consumers and businesses so that more money's flowing around the economy and the expansion continues, essentially. That's right. So when I mentioned a couple minutes ago that the focus is going to be on that Fed meeting at the end of October and the meeting in December, why is that? That's because it is my opinion, and I know you agree, that Wall Street is expecting further cuts in interest rates. So what happens when Wall Street's expecting something, and let's say for a second, they don't get it? What happens? Market yeah. sells off. Mm -hmm. And that's a potential risk that listeners need to be aware of. Okay, yeah, thanks for that, Matt. Yep. Um, moving on to, or did you have anything else you wanna talk about that was in the headlines before we moved on? No, I mean, we had the Fed, we had the issue with the geopolitical event over in uh, Saudi Arabia. Um, trade talks are beginning between U.S. and China, and I know we'll give the listeners an update as more information flow comes out next week. Right now, it's pretty much rumors, Yeah, and I think we'll skip it for now, but okay. no, next week, that's definitely going to be in the docket. Okay. So moving on to um, articles, tweets, and research from the week that we found interesting, um, I'll start. I saw a tweet from Ben Carlson on September 4th. Um, and he tweeted out, not a bad deal. Michigan is offering a $50 bonus in your 529 if you contribute $500 this month. When are fund companies going to start this for IRAs? So I thought that was pretty interesting, man. That's a pretty good gig that the, the state's kicking in an extra $50 when you're contributing to 529 accounts. Very interesting. Um, so I think he makes another interesting point where, um, you know, do you think this would ever happen with fund companies uh, that they would start doing this and contributing and trying to get people um, more willing to save towards IRAs or 401ks and kicking in a little bit of extra or do you think that's not going to happen? You know, it wouldn't surprise me in this day of age. <laughs> you know, what you're seeing is if a company wants to grow, they are willing to forego short-term profits to gain market share and this would play along that playbook. And I think where we could possibly see that mark is with um, some sort of a fintech disruptor. Now, um, on the business side of it, I don't see it actually working. And I'll tell you why. Ultimately, when people make these investments in IRAs, they watch performance. 
So if someone's buying market share, right, they better perform, otherwise they're gonna lose that money. All right. Right. Investors, um, especially do-it-yourselfers, can be very fickle and they demand performance. And as all investors do. But I, I would just say that I just don't think that's the correct business model, especially with this type of situation. Yeah. Just yeah. my two cents. Yeah, I think it is pretty cool by the state of Michigan to do that though, because um, I can't remember where I read it. I saw on an article a couple of weeks ago that uh, college costs uh, increase by about 6% per year. So you have to keep up with that 6% return in terms of return in the 529 to be able to keep up, to be able to pay for all of college if that's your goal. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, if, if states are kicking in an extra bonus contribution on your behalf, then you should be taking advantage of that. Yeah, I mean, what are the two areas of the U.S. that have the highest areas of inflation? Healthcare, education. And education. And at some point... Um, we got to get a handle on this, yeah. Because yeah. a compounding six percent is not something that's going to continue to be realistic. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And we can say the same thing about healthcare costs, but we won't get off on that tangent. Um, Though I have something on it in a second. Okay. Perfect. Right. Okay. Go ahead. Well, I'm going to dig in then. So um, there was a Bloomberg article on September 12th that is warning that U.S. healthcare prices are surging the most on record. And it's saying that health insurance premiums from this year, 2019 mark, to 2020 could rise 20%. Wow. Your feedback, your comment. It just gives more weight to the fact that um, planning for healthcare in the future is extremely, extremely challenging. Um, because most people, when they're 25 years old, they're not thinking about getting a long-term care policy. But you know, as you get closer and closer towards you know 50s, 60s, even 40s and 30s, those policies start to become more expensive. And, Absolutely. You know, I think just from our experience, I see a lot of people around the 50-ish age start to ask us questions about that. And at that time, it's already a couple thousand dollars a year. Mm -hmm. And that's for a policy that doesn't even cover a full month of assisted living. It might only cover a portion of it. That's right. Um, so these are things that, you know, I think health savings accounts can do a good job now that they can be invested in the markets. Good point. Um, where people can access those funds, um, you know, uh, for healthcare expenses. Yep. Um, but it's just a really tough discussion to have with people because it, it's just so expensive. Yeah, I mean, here's what I also see as a potential ramification. Companies get these renew renewal notices here in October. So let's say you have XYZ company, 20% premium raise. What I've seen is companies will absorb some of that, but then the other portion, they're either gonna do one of two things. They're gonna pass it along to the employee, and sometimes it's in the form of a higher deductible. And the other way they're gonna do it is they pass it along to the consumer. So this could be a potential headwind for 2020. Yeah, okay. yeah no, I totally agree with that. Yeah. All right, I got two more things. Um, this one's also an inflation uh, topic, Mark. Hmm. Um, global animal protein inflation. This is a tweet from Tommy Thornton. Um, on September 13th at um, about 7.40 in the morning. It says China will be short 10 million metric tons of meat after they fill the current void. It's the largest loss of protein ever. 
And then um, they've had a lot of issues with um, swine flu uh, over in um, East Asia. So it's lost a lot of the herd. And so with supply and demand, the prices are going up. And then on top of it, with um, add the losses of cow in the U.S. Um, earlier in the year due to a lot of the Midwest flooding, it means to me that we're going to start to see more and more protein inflation in the U.S. They're seeing it in East Asia. I think we're going to start to see more of it here in the U.S. Yeah. Your comment. Um, we should just start buying the meat patties from Beyond Meat. <laughs> 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 Sorry, I didn't. I had to throw that jab in there once I, I got the, love it. just I, because we joke internally about companies and whatnot. But I had to throw that in there. Yeah, that that, uh, that, that topic uh, <laughs> for those of you that don't know the inside joke. There's a difference between a good company and a good stock, and I'll leave it at that. <laughs> um, um, so going back to the first comment, Matt, can you just explain again what um, you know being short ten million ten million metrics uh, of meat? is after they fill that void. So what's happening right now, to put it in realistic terms, Mark, that people will understand, and this is not an exaggeration, year to date, they are experiencing north of 60% price inflation wow. on protein in China. Fruits and vegetables, north of 40%. Part of this is because of China's tactics on, on trade. The other part, is because they're having legitimate issues with their supply chain. So this is going to lead to inflation. And as that money comes out of the consumer's pockets and focuses on the immediate need of eating, it's less money to go around to other things. And that could affect the global economy. Yeah. Just throwing it out yeah. there. Interesting and I got, point. I got one last thing. Actually, Mark is going to circle back to your 529. Um, nah, we're playing off each other pretty well today. Yeah, I love this. So um, here's what I want to throw out there. Um, we recommend that all of our clients with college students in their household to fill out the FAFSA as early as possible. As many grants, loans, scholarships are granted on a first-come, first-served basis. The earliest you can fill out a FAFSA mark for the following school year is October 1st. That is October 2019 for a student enrolling in September of 2020. Once your school receives the FAFSA, you or your child or grandchild will be sent an award letter from the financial aid office summarizing any scholarship grants that they qualify for, as well as your eligibility for federal loans. So I think that's a good public service announcement mm -hmm. to throw it out there. Yeah, no, I agree, because um, I think when it comes to filling out FAFSAs, I know you know I you know when I was doing it with my parents, I at the time didn't know much about it, but it tends to be a little confusing for for a lot of people. So it's good to get ahead of it as early as possible. And you know, with these two comments, it looks like it's going to help you out if you do it early anyway. Yeah, and the <clears> best <throat> thing I could throw out there is if right now I had a client call me up saying, "Matt, I'm confused about the FAFSA. Can you help me out?" I'm nowhere near an expert in that area. Mm -hmm. I would highly encourage them to contact the school of which their child, grandchild is attending. Their financial aid office should be able to walk you through that. That's the best thing I could throw out there. Yeah, yeah, and even at the, um, they usually have um, counselors or someone in the high schools that are pretty well versed in it too, so I encourage people to check that out. Um, that's a good point, as well. Mark. Yeah. And that's all I have. Great, all right. Well, we'll move on to the financial planning topic of the week. And this article um, that we're gonna discuss today comes from Douglas Boneparth. 
and this was on August 28th from his blog, uh, Bonafide. So, and Doug is a fellow Commonwealth advisor, so shout out to Doug for this great blog article that he wrote. Um, it's called Show Me the Statements. So this blog post talks about estate planning with parents and having the children be a part of that process. And from our experience, this is one of the tougher discussions um, between family members, but is one that I think is of the utmost importance. Yeah. Um, so with that lead, uh, we'll kind of just dump r- right into it here. Um, so Doug leads off by saying conversations between family members about money are taboo and highly stigmatized even today. So I always find it fascinating when people plan their financial future around the death of their parents, knowing that in all likelihood, they haven't had a single discussion with them about their finances. And again, this is something we see a lot of Matt, I think. Um, and most of the time people do not know how their fine, do not know how their parents' finances are set up. Um, and just because it's one of those like awkward talking points, right? Absolutely. Um, I mean, no one wants to talk about death. Yeah. Yeah. No one wants to talk about that. Sometimes the parents don't want to disclose to their children how much wealth they have, but I don't necessarily think they even have to disclose that to have them be a part of the process. Good just point. Good just point. understanding how things were to go if something were to happen to the parents. I think that's an excellent point. Um, so in my opinion, you know, it's a tough talking point, but it's a conversation that needs to be had. Um, Doug continues and says, moreover, I can't begin to tell you how many boomers I've witnessed over the last 10 years of my career become overwhelmingly burdened by the lack of planning and communication from their elderly parents. They say they don't want to bother their boomer children with these matters, but all it really does is create an even greater burden once they're gone. Um, And I can definitely say we back this statement by Doug because we've seen it before with several clients. Um, You know, a a parent passes without a will, without a trust, uh, beneficiaries on their IRAs or 401ks, um, and, you know, stuff ends up going through probate and it's a huge burden on the children. Absolutely. Or, you know, um, a parent passes and then they have to clean everything up. They don't know where the money's invested. Um, It's a disaster. Now, you fast forward to today's age where some of these people have electronic statements you know, the stuff's not coming in the mail. It makes it even harder to figure out where everything's at. Yeah, and you have to gain access to the email account oh, and trying yeah. to get that password with all the verifications in today's day and age, and it's just a mess. Yes. Um, so a little bit more down the article, um, Doug talks about um, relationships. He says, relationships are messy and only further complicate expectations. It is not a guarantee that you and your siblings are going to have the entire pie to yourselves. Relatives, charities, and perhaps children slash spouses from previous marriages could find their way into the inheritance picture. Yep. So this makes it extremely difficult as well because people might be under the assumption that, you know, their parents just are leaving everything to them and it could be a shock uh, if they weren't involved and, you know, when their parents do pass it could be extremely different. Not only that, Mark, but maybe they listed someone else as the executor or someone else as the successor trustee. You know, it, it can get real dicey. Yeah, yeah. And instead of having that all come out after your parents are gone when you're already dealing with that grievance, yep. in my opinion, it's better to have that conversation before and be like, okay, 
you know, son A, you're going to be the executor of the trust. Son B, this is going to be your role. You're the healthcare power of attorney or financial power attorney or something like that. Again, I don't think that people need to necessarily involve figures when having this conversation, but at least knowing what the game plan is, I think makes it easier across the board for all parties. I think that's a great recommendation, Mark. The other thing I'd throw out there is if you are somebody who recently lost a loved one and you're trying to pick up the pieces, uh, trying to figure out where everything's at, say in the financial world, because that's what a lot of you and I deal with, Mark. The first thing I would look at is, um, let's say in the case of your parents passing, look at their most recent couple years tax returns. And the reason I say that is a lot of, say, the investment accounts that they have, you should be able to discover or it would help provide some tea leaves on maybe where that money's held. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. Just an idea to throw yeah, out. That's there. a great point. Because the first thing when someone calls me up and says this is the situation, I don't know where my mom had everything. The first thing I say is, go see if you can uh, find the most uh, recent tax return. If you can get two years, that's great. We'll dig through it. We'll figure out where the money's at, and then we can go from there. Yeah. But that's a starting point. If you're if this is thrown in your lap. You're trying to recreate where all the wealth is, and that's a good starting point. Yeah, no, that's a great, that's a great point. Um, and then the last paragraph, paragraph I just wanted to read from Doug. Um, I love this this paragraph here. Um, he says the biggest bit of advice that I can offer someone looking for clarity with regard to their parents' estate is to sit down and have a discussion. Communication is single-handedly the most powerful tool to set reasonable expectations for both your parents and yourself. Prepare to face strong objections and harsh criticisms, but it is important to convey that your motivations are strictly to ensure that their wishes are met. It is imperative to explain that not by not having open and honest discussions around their finances, they run the risk of diminishing your ability to help them protect their legacy and more importantly, their dignity. If that doesn't get the conversation started, you should plan on receiving nothing. Yeah, I mean, I'll just kind of add to that. You know, the way that you got to broach that that conversation is say, listen, you know, um, I'm beginning to put my financial house in order. I'm beginning to do estate planning. And, you know, mom or dad, you know, I'm having this conversation with you because I'm not necessarily concerned about if I'm going to inherit anything, um, but I am concerned about following through on any responsibility that you would seek me to do for you. Yeah. And, you know, heck, a lot of times are uh, the children of clients don't even know where, say, the estate planning documents are held in the client's house. I mean, that's that's step one. You know, if something happens to me, go into the home office, right bottom drawer, that's where all the estate planning documents are, my annual year-end statements on all the accounts, everything's in there. I have the card for the attorney, I have the card for my money manager, done. Yeah. No, but some don't even tell tell their kids that. Yeah, and it's like a, it's going on like a treasure hunt. It is. For that information. Um, I mean, not even, I mean, you know, because, you know, we hear it all the time that you know, parents want to take care of their kids when they're gone. And part of that is not just the financial aspect of it. Part of it is being prepared and letting them know, you know, what they have to do once they pass to get all of this stuff in order. You know, you spend so much time planning, you know, you know, this amount of money is going to go to this charity, this amount of money is going to the kids, this amount of money um, is going to the church or something like that. But, 
you know, if your your kids or uh, your grandkids aren't in the loop about any of that stuff, it can be extremely complicated. And, you know, after that, you know, who knows what type of emotions are going on after someone just lost a parent, but then also, you know, if maybe they didn't get as much as they expected or I don't know. I just think that a lot of that could be eliminated with proper planning. So the message here is communication, clarity, and I think this is a great blog post that you brought to the financial planning uh, topic of the week. So Mark, great yeah, job. Yeah, and Doug puts out a lot of good blogs and everything. So maybe um, him being a Commonwealth advisor, we can get him on the podcast maybe. That'd be great. I, I, that'd, be, that'd be wonderful. And I'm calling him Doug Douglas. I don't know. It's like I know him. I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know him. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, thanks for that article, Doug. Um, so that's all I had, Matt. Um, is there anything else you want to throw in there before we wrap it up for this week? Last thing I'll throw out there for the listeners is uh, we are right around the corner, Mark, as you know, from third quarter earnings season. So in plain English, what that means is publicly traded companies have to report their earnings to shareholders every three months. From July 1st through the end of September, they're going to report, that's the third quarter, they're going to report those earnings to shareholders, say, from mid-October to mid-November. So you're going to start to hear from us on this podcast in a matter of, what, four weeks, we're going to begin to say, this is what we're seeing in corporate profits. And why is it important to you? It really moves these stock prices, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So that is on the horizon. It is something that you and I are beginning to be fixated on. Mm -hmm. And so I want to give a little bit of a preview to the listeners. That's going to be coming. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yep. Earnings season right around the corner. And before you know it, we're going to be um, at Thanksgiving and then Christmas. And then it's going to be the start of a new year. So Yes, it will. Um, but thanks, everyone, for listening to the 13th episode of the Independent Advisors podcast. We hope you all have a wonderful, safe weekend, and we will talk to you uh, next week at the normal time in the morning. All right. Take care, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Independent Advisors podcast. If you're interested in hearing more, hit the subscribe button so you can be notified every time a new episode gets released. Feel free to share with friends, family, and follow us on Twitter at Jessup Wealth, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Mark and Matt will continue to share beneficial information on these social media sites. And also check out the podcast tab on their website. That's www.jessupwealthmanagement.com. Here you'll find links to every episode of the Independent Advisors. Have questions or topics you want to discuss on the show? Message us on Twitter, LinkedIn, or send an email with the words, questions, and topics in the subject line to mark at jessupwealthmanagement.com, and we'll talk about it right here on the podcast. Certain sections of this commentary may contain forward-looking statements based on reasonable expectations, estimates, projections, and assumptions. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of future performance and involve certain risks and uncertainties, which are difficult to predict. All indices are unmanaged and are not available for direct investment by the public. Past performance is not indicative of future results. This podcast is provided for general informational purposes only and does not constitute either tax, legal, or financial advice. Although we do go to great lengths to make sure our information is accurate and useful, we recommend you consult a tax preparer, professional tax advisor, financial advisor, or lawyer regarding your specific circumstances. Investing involves risk, including the loss of principal. No strategy can guarantee any objective or goal will be achieved. Advisory services offered through Commonwealth Financial Network, a registered investment advisor.